Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Black Country Ramble. Slightly different this week in that I am not joined by my usual partner in crime, JB. However, I am joined by his lesser known but better adored brother, George. George, thank you for coming back on the pod. Welcome back. How are you, George? Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I'm really well, actually. Yeah, um, notwithstanding the Wolves' results, I'm uh, yeah doing pretty well at the moment. Thanks. We very will much. certainly get into that. We will discuss Wolves this week. However, there'll be a slight Albion uh, flavour to the pod this week. Last week, of course, if you listened, you will have heard um, official HRH, um, who actually, by all accounts, came across far better than his Alexa play that tune videos. Um, thanks again, Harry, for coming on, if you're listening. But this week we are joined by a guest of an Albion persuasion. And this is a very, very popular Albion guest. There will be a lot of people listening to this podcast for the first time. We don't normally have former Express and Star journalist Matt Wilson, but this week we do. Matt, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. No, thank you for coming on. Um, are you excited to talk Albion, talk another Albion relegation? Um, no. <laughs> no, that, yeah, that's mainly fair because, Mainly because of the last, I think the last five games have been, what, 0-0, 1 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 
I mean, I think it's just because I watched that game on whenever it was, and the same position that I've watched the last 20, 30 games. And for the first time this season, I didn't actually care. Okay. I didn't find myself getting riled up. I didn't find myself getting frustrated. I found myself just looking at my phone for most of the game because nothing happened. Nothing happened. Yeah. And it was, I think I, I said something, I tweeted something saying, you know, having the final nail driven into your coffin has never been so boring. Yeah. Because it yeah, just yeah. it I, just was such a rubbish I agree. game. I couldn't agree more. Um, every time you tweet during an Albion game, it's guaranteed numbers. It's like Carol Vorderman <laughs> on Countdown, Matt. It's uh, it's always a very popular halftime tweet. Um, but I couldn't agree more. I was watching that and just thinking, oh, just just bring it on. Just get the relegation done. I can't watch this every week. Um, is that for you the nail in the coffin? That's all she wrote. Yeah, I think so. I think there was a brief period, um, you know, after the win at Brighton, uh, where we kind of thought, oh, maybe this could spark a crazy run. Yeah. Um, and performances had improved with the new signings in January, but um, they've dipped off again. I mean, yeah. um, Diania, the striker, for the last two games has been poor for me. And I, I think Matt's kind of because he's been overworked, you know, he's been basically played every game yeah. since he yeah. arrived. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's not the same level really to what he's used to and he's been playing three times a week. He's also been, you know, he's, he's better than what we've got and I can see why he's starting every game, but he's been poor in front of goal. I just don't see where the goals are coming from to stay up at the moment. I just, there's, there's for me, every week feels like it's last chance saloon and it's it, it has got the hallmarks of that of that season um, under Pardew when uh, they went yeah. down, albeit, albeit slightly less, um, I would say, slightly less controversial and dramatic as that season, as, as we all know. Yeah. But there's still time, you know, there's still time for them to go on a jolly to Barcelona. So we'll see what happens. But <laughs> yeah, well, it's... it's it is. It does feel like that season, kind of. It, well, it kind of does, Matt. And I, I, I wanted to bring this up later, but what better time than now? And you know that season a lot better than most. Um, obviously, you covered that at the Express and Star. Um, the podcast, the Baggies Broadcast, was in its first uh, season there. It really was in its infancy. Um, and I was living in Spain at the time. Uh, <laughs> and it was depressing. It was horrible every week to see us lose. But every Monday or Tuesday, I'd come back from uni where I was studying and I felt so connected to home listening to that. I know this is probably something I should have told you off air, but uh, that was <laughs> absolutely brilliant. That that podcast, it kind of kept the hope alive. Um, and one thing you said about the crazy run with Brighton, could it have sparked something? That kind of did happen um, in that other season. But you never really got the feeling, yes, we sort of, flattered to deceive with that Brighton win but I don't think we ever looked looked close to threatening a run of the magnitude uh, of the Darren Moore era with the win at Liverpool that last minute win again oh, sorry the draw with Liverpool the win at Man United the last minute winner against Spurs what how how different is it having covered that season mm. and it was it was shameful really off the field on the field it was poor how different is it from covering it to observing this one as a fan um oh in terms of in terms of how i don't know really i think how, how does it make you feel like to, yeah obviously it's massively personal, different emotions yeah yeah in terms of a personal emotional tie when you're covering it you're you are right in the thick of it and 
you know, you're talking about it every day. You're speaking to people about it every day. People are giving you tips about various things. Um, you know, it, it, you feel very much a part of it. Whereas now watching it, I can kind of live through it as a fan. I can have that, you know, those 90 minutes of, of turmoil on a Saturday, but then the rest of the week you can kind of park it and not think about it. Mm -hmm. Whereas obviously if you're writing about it all the time and, and interviewing players and, and, and whatnot, um, it's slightly different. So I would say that one was a bit more traumatic. I also think it's, it was more traumatic that first one or not traumatic, that's the wrong word, but it was more shameful. Like, as you said, that first yeah. one, because the players, the players were so much better. You know, this, this, this group of players, um, I, don't, I just don't think, bless them, they are good enough. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are players in there that are, have, have improved and tried really hard this season. I would say Connor Townsend and Dara Roche are two of them that I've yeah. really enjoyed. I've really enjoyed watching their progress this season. Um, but I think as a unit, they're just not good enough. The frustrating thing about um, the, the the initial one under Pardew was that there was a, there was there were good enough players there, and the, the failings were was that was in the manager's dug that was in the dugout. You know that was that was all Pardew's doing, um, in, in my opinion. And um, you know, obviously the players need to shoulder some responsibility as well. But he fostered a, a mentality in in that group at that time, um, Alan Pardew, which I, I think was was incredibly counterproductive. And yeah. um, and you know. I, th I think I wrote it at the time. You know, he's, he's got to go down as as one of the worst, if not the worst, managers in in Albion's history for for sheer sort of statistics, numbers, and also the ethos that he brought to the club, which wasn't a positive one. So um, it does feel different because I would I was completely against Pardew staying in any form. You know, nine nine defeats in on a row, and they were all hopeless. I mean, he had to go. Whereas you have seen a bit of a fight and a turnaround from from Sam. Okay, it was poor at the start, and when he first came in, there was a lot of um, heavy defeats. But since he's got some players in, you have seen a bit of a turnaround. Um, so I wouldn't be against him necessarily staying um, for the championship if he wanted to. But um, it, it it just feels it, that limp feeling of the game. You know, you watch a game and, and exactly you feel limp it afterwards. Says it, it says that in my notes. Yeah, it's that exact that, word, limp. That that feeling is the same. Um, yeah. I don't think the anger at the players is the same because, you know, I don't think you can, you can't direct the same anger at a sort of Conor Gallagher that you could at a, a Krakowiak. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. they're, they're different. Gallagher's trying his heart out, bless him. Um, Krakowiak was, was not. So, yeah. Yeah. That's... Yeah, Matt, you actually, you wrote at the time, um, there was a problem with Albion's recruitment and that was the Terraneo days, I believe. Um, that was they would recruit players who were taking a step down to play for us. Um, Krikoviak, Daniel Sturridge, um, these sort of players, even your Gareth Barrys, who turned out to be quite a good signing in the long run. Um, we have the opposite now. We, are, we have a lot of players for whom it is the pinnacle of their career to be playing with West Bromwich Albion in the Premier League. I think that is part of the reason it feels different as well. I think it you almost feel a, a greater affinity to this side, or I do personally. I feel a greater affinity to these players, the Dara Rochers, um, Conor Gallagher, who looks like he's, you know, he, he gives everything for the shirt, even though he's a lone Um, I, These kind of players, Conor Townsend as well, Sam Johnston, this is the pinnacle of their career and they are trying their hardest. And you maybe didn't get that feeling with, with the previous relegation? 
Yeah, I, I completely agree, Kieran. Hundred percent. It's it felt like a few of those players were uh, not phoning it in, but they were, you know, as you say, it wasn't the be all and end all for them. Whereas I yeah. think for the majority of this team, uh, the, the current crop, it, it can't. It's not the be all and end all, but they are. They are giving it everything. I mean. Sam Johnson's probably going to go on and, and have a great career in the Premier League, with, yeah. not with Albion, I, I would guess. Um, so he'll probably go on to that to do things like that. But um, and there'll probably be a few others who, who might do that. But you know, we, we keep talking about Townsend and O'Shea, but those two you can see coming back down to the Championship, and I'm actually quite excited to see them in the Championship next season. Um, Me too. Yeah. So you know, it, it does feel different in that in that regards. I completely agree with you. Yeah, and I think it does, again, school coming back to this point of um, ambitions away from the club. And there was a crop of players there, a good 75% of them had another move in them. Um, maybe you thought they were better than the championship. We maybe have Pereira now, Sam Johnston, who could probably you know, justify moving away. Um, I don't know if we've got many yeah. players who are, are Pereira, I mean, even worthy. Even Pereira for me in the last couple of weeks, he's he's kind of been a weak link in a in a strange way. I he's yeah. a fantastic player, obviously, and he's a great technician, but the way that he slows the play down doesn't seem to be too conducive to the way Allardyce plays. So um he he's kind of been yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if he left, but I wouldn't be surprised if he stayed at all. I don't yeah, think he's, yeah, yeah. I don't think anybody is desperately going to try and sign him. They might do. With um, three years I left think, on his deal, they might not. Yeah, exactly. I think Sam Johnson's more likely to to, to go. To be oh, honest, I think Sam, um, Sam's gone because he's got half the time left on his deal as well. Yeah, he'll be into yeah, his last so. year if he finishes the season in the championship. Um, and interestingly, George, good to get your input on this. You obviously Wolves fan. You are a fan of a team who are. They've finished seventh twice, but Wolves are sort of not considered the elite in the Premier League. They are essentially a mid-table team. Would you take anybody from Albion's current squad? Oh, good question. Um, not including... Are we including your loan signings in this? Uh, no, the assets we okay. own. I think I would take Sam Johnston, but... Effective. I mean, he would. He wouldn't replace Patricio. No. Um, so he'd be a backup. Um, honestly, maybe Semi Ajay. Actually, I think Semi Ajay is a very tidy, That's tidy centre back. Point, yeah. I think he'd work well in our system as well. Um, yeah, probably Semi Ajay. I don't know if I would take any others. To be to be brutally honest yeah I no on, honesty is honesty is what i'm after mate with it illustrates the point that is where we're at as a club of course we got promoted a year ahead of this two-year plan and the slavin, slavin bilic slavin bilic did an exceptional job in that first year the goalposts moved he was two points from safety when he was sacked it, yeah. we are this- we are exactly where we should be with the players we've got and the time span that this project um, That's the thing, isn't across. It? Yeah, and the same thing happened with Norwich as well. You know, I, I, um, under Daniel Farker, I believe they were promoted sooner than they expected to be in terms of their sort of long-term plans. Um, they've gone down, and they're cut. They're, they're likely to come straight back up, but in a much stronger position than they were when they first got promoted to the Premier League. And I think that sort of 
ideally, I mean, obviously, I know you got rid of Bilic, but that's sort of the 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 plan that you'd like to follow. I would imagine as a as a Baggies fan, in theory, yeah. And that's and, the difference, isn't it? That's the difference, isn't it, Kieran? That you look at Norwich and you think they've got a plan there, they've got a structure, and they've got a manager that they believe in, and, and Stuart the way they're playing, director, technical director as well. A way, a way, a way, a sort of ethos that they believe in, and they they doesn't matter if they take a knock, they're happy to do that. Whereas at Albion, it kind of feels like that long term plan might not be there. You know, Bilic felt like an appointment that was made. Um, because of almost who he was, his charisma, um, mm-hmm. more than anything, because Albion fans needed that. They needed someone to connect with um, after Pulis and Pardew. Um, obviously, they connected with Darren Moore, but it still felt like, you know, Darren, I, I, I love Darren to bits, but he, he did sort of clam up a little bit at times in front of the press. And I, yeah. and I think Bilic really connected with the fans. Um and then Allardyce, it felt like it feel again. It feels like a short-term appointment just to try and keep you up. Yeah. Norwich have got a long-term game at the moment. Albion don't. So you know, whatever happens for Albion this season, I think what a lot of fans would like to see is that long-term plan put in place. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And the the season we finished fourth under Darren Moore. Uh, and the, the relegation under Darren Moore did wonders for giving us back that that. That passion, obviously, you were covering the club at the time, but as a fan, um, it was it was great to have somebody you wanted to get behind after the the end of the Pulis days and the Pardew reign. And it does feel like, and I'm not slating Sam Allardyce for the job he does. He does what he does, but it is a short term appointment, and it doesn't fit any kind of model or identity as a club. And is it romantic to to prioritize your identity as a club over your success? Yeah. But does it matter if you're a fan? Yeah, it does. It does matter. You, you hear Man United fans talk about it with, with their club. And, you know, Louvan Haal and um, Mourinho didn't work there because they didn't play the United way. I kind of draw the line at the, you know, the West Ham way, the West Brom way, the United way. But there is inherently an identity to a football club that fans can get behind. And I don't feel like we we have any semblance of identity under under Allardyce or indeed under Pardew or and we lost it really under uh, under Pulis whereas under Moore and under Billich it was it was fun at the end of the day uh yeah it was and I would say that we I would say that we had quite a strong identity under Pulis it was just perhaps not yeah it was just perhaps not the identity that some of the fans wanted um but it was certainly a strong identity and when you look at it like that actually you know that 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 kind that did kind of work. I mean, it worked for a good few seasons. That yeah, having that identity financially as well it worked for the financially, club financially, but also you know they finished what fourteenth, tenth, uh, and eleventh or something. Anyway, was it tenth twice? It, I, I don't know. It's yeah, all the blood so, out the days. You know, you'd, you'd you'd snap snap your hands off for that now. So it's God, yeah. It it was yeah. It wasn't necessarily what the identity that everybody wanted or craved or. Uh, you know, wanted, but th- it, it was certainly better than having no identity, which is what you kind of had under Pardew. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, the problem as well with, with not having an identity as well, or not having this kind of long-term vision is that when you have a long-term vision, if something goes wrong, like it has obviously this season with, with West Brom, you can see it for what it is, which it's a bump in the road. We were expecting this, but as long as the overall trajectory is up, 
you know, we, we, we can take this. Um, yeah. And I think that's, but when, when you, when you're just kind of making you, when you're just reacting to things because you don't have a long-term vision, something happens, you panic, you go, Oh crap, we need to change course. And it, it, it's just a mess. It just becomes a mess before you know it. Yeah. And that's exactly what went wrong with Pardew. And it is exactly what's happened this season. I, and, I, you, and you did have to say that Wolves have got that long-term vision at the moment. You know, that's, that, that does seem to be the case from the outside looking in. I don't follow them that closely, but it does seem yeah. to be the case. Yeah, um, we, we, we definitely do. We definitely do. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that the fans, as you said, can really get behind with Wolves. And one of the, one of the things that's given us a real connection with our club again, especially after kind of being relegated to league one, this kind of building to a better future. And um, yes, of course, you know, money plays a big part in that. We have a lot of money now with Fossun, but it is nice to think, okay, there, there is a project here. Um, definitely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's kind of controversial and what, you know, what do you place on, you know, which, which one has more importance rather that short term success or your, your fan experience of your club. Um, and I would have stayed with Bilic. I'd have gone down under Bilic um, and given him another go. I think he earned it um, by getting us promoted in his first season. And I say that knowing full well, that is not the most most popular opinion. There are a lot of people who look back on the Billich reign with maybe a touch more realism than me. I know I see it through rose-tinted glasses, but at the same time, I think he'd earned the chance to bring us back up again. I don't know where you weigh in on that, Matt. Uh, for me, I thought that Billich, the wheels have started to come off in the championship. Let's, you know, we, yeah, absolutely. We, all, we yeah. all know, we all know that it it, it was going from, it, you know, they basically they um, hobbled over the line, and it was quite fortunate to do so in the end. Um, but I, I kind of, I'm the same as you in a way, Kieran. That I kind of think that the short termism of football is is rampant, and you can't really, you can understand why why he went because the performances and the results were poor for so long and not it wasn't just in the Premier League. Um, but you did, because of the connection he had with the fans, I did kind of want him to, to give him a chance to turn it around. And, you know, it's difficult because you're not in that position to make those decisions. Uh-huh. And if perhaps they'd, they'd have left it and he'd either got relegated and then they'd left it until, what, the midway through next season where we're mid-table in the championship, people would be saying, why on earth do you not pull the trigger earlier? Yeah, we, um, could, have, we if, could have had it, Sam Allardyce and stayed up. Well, exactly. If, yeah. It's all what-ifs, isn't it? And, you know, you don't know for sure that Billich was going to get out of that funk and, and turn no. things two things around, even if they got relegated. So, it's you know, that that it all comes down to um, how much do you trust the manager if you're in that position? And I think the writing was on the wall when uh, Billich fell out with Dowling in that summer. That yeah. was basically it, really. I mean, you, you can't have a technical director and the manager at war with each other. It's just never going to last and there's only going to be one winner. So I think that was the problem, really. Um, yeah. And if you look back on that summer's business, um, I think both men have, uh, you know, probably need to shoulder a bit of the blame because yeah. Yeah. I don't think the business was that good, really. I mean, you, poor Grady Dean Garner. I thought it was a great signing at the time, but it's turned out to not be so far. It uh, doesn't mean he's not going to go on and be great, but... Um, Maybe it was just a bit too much, too young, um, and then the rest of the business hasn't hasn't been great to be to be brutally honest, no, and they haven't been no. pulling up trees. And, and you can tell because you look at the 
you look at the first team at the moment and it's all, you know, Allardyce is, is reluctant to even make a sub um, because he doesn't want to bring on any of those players. So Yeah, he, he really is. And again, I wanted to talk about the subs briefly before we move on to Wolves, George. But Allardyce's subs are Hal Robson-Carno and Robert Snodgrass. Um, and I think, as you alluded to there, that says everything about his level of confidence in the squad. Um, and that comes back to the recruitment in the summer. And the the fact that he would sooner play Hal robson Carnu, who has had chances in the Premier League and never, ever delivered in the Premier League. He's been a good championship player and he did a job and he's very popular with Albion fans, but he has never scored goals to save games. Um, one or two occasions aside for Albion, of course. He's not the kind of player who's going to come off the bench and make that impact. Yet considering that, Sam would still rather go for him than a Callum Robinson, a Carlin Grant, a Grady Diangana. That says all it really needs to about what he makes of that recruitment. What 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 would you have done if you were in Allardyce's position? One nil down, 45 minutes in. Uh, in it, what he actually did was change um, the shape slightly or rather change the personnel. He went to a bit of a 4-2-3-1 uh, and Pereira played more centrally um, for about 15 minutes and then he hooked Pereira. I wouldn't have brought Snodgrass and Robson Carno on. I don't know about you, Matt. Well, funnily enough, I would have brought Snodgrass on a bit earlier because I think Snodgrass has got that Premier League experience and he's got yeah, that ability mm-hmm. to find a goal from nowhere. Yeah. Um, I, you know, you can you can imagine him popping up on the edge of the box and and, and put, putting it in the bottom corner. So Definitely. I would have I would have put Snodgrass on earlier personally. Um, I would not necessarily have put Robson Carno on, but. Um, you know, I would just, I would maybe thrown Dean Garner on or Carlin Grant maybe, but to be honest, yeah. when I've seen when I've seen Dean Garner in recent weeks, he looks a shadow of the player that he, he was before. So, um, you know, and and his 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 defensive work in the Premier League leaves gaps behind him. I think so. It's very tricky. You know, um, yeah. it's very tricky. I, I, as I said earlier, I think the squad just unfortunately isn't good enough. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Definitely. Oh, that was a a deep dive on all that is wrong at the Hawthorns at the moment. Um, George, it's not going all that well at the Molyneux, but relatively speaking, you're in um, a much better position than we are. It was an entertaining, uh, eventful 1-0 last night, uh, 1-0 defeat um, for Wolves. Talk us through that uh, Wolves-Liverpool game, George. Yeah, it was entertaining. Um, I mean, look, we lost 1-0. We didn't score. So you'd be forgiven for thinking that this was very much business as usual for Wolves. But but actually, I was quite impressed with the way we played. Yeah. Uh, I like that business as usual, this not scoring, <laughs> losing 1-0 at the moment. Yeah, it is. But um, we were, I, I felt we were very impressive, actually. we Every time we got the ball, we looked to play it forward, which we haven't done a lot of in recent weeks, funnily enough. We had runners off the ball. There was a lot of movement. There were people busting a gut to get into the box, which we don't normally have. And, you know, against a Liverpool side who who counter-press like maniacs, to beat that press as often as we did was actually very impressive. And bar, you know, a couple of great headers from Nat Phillips and uh, a a bit of poor decision-making from Adama Traore, who I am just constantly annoyed with because he is 
this close yeah. to how being much is a world-class player. How much is he worth? Because I had this conversation. I've got two Wolves fans who... Sorry, two Wolves fans, two worth? uncles who are Wolves fans. And they swear blind he's a £50 million player. He's a £60 million player. And Matt and George are both shake, he, shaking their heads there. Thumbs he, down from Matt as well for the listeners' listen, benefit. Listen, he, he could be... He, as he is, What I was about to say was he is this close and my fingers are very close to people who are <laughs> the podcast to being a world-class player, but his decision-making, he needs to get his head up and stop trying to do everything himself because the amount of times there was a give and go on or there was somebody making a run off the ball in a much better position than he was and he just ran with it and he's brilliant at running with it. You know, nobody can stop him. You can't even foul him. He's He's that good at dribbling. You can't, if he tried to bring him down illegally, you still can't. That's how good he is. But until he improves his decision making, is is for me personally, yeah, it's not worth 50, 60. Absolutely. Maybe 20, maybe 25, 30 at this point. But who's gonna who's him. gonna pay it? Because I mean, we can see that. I'd I'd you, keep him and hopefully we'll develop him into the that class player that we that yeah. we think he can I be. mean he came on so much last season. Um yeah. but I think Jimenez is a big loss for him. Um, yeah, him and Jimenez, Jimenez shares a lot of the responsibility as well. Definitely. They had an incredible partnership. Um, and you know, I mean, t- he has been unlucky a little bit as well this season. I believe he's he's got something like four expected assists. Um, yeah. He's there's been he's put put a couple of crosses in the six yard box, and Dendonka missed one from you know five yards out, and uh, Ottasoe missed one as well against Brighton. I think that was or Spurs or somebody I can't remember now. So he's been a bit unlucky. Fabio not- Silva missed one last night as well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's been unlucky not to be more involved in our goals in that sense, but he's definitely not been anywhere close to what he was last season. And I agree with you that I think Jimenez was a big part of that. I think the, yeah. the Traore Jimenez partnership was the most prolific in, in Europe, I believe last season. I'm sure I read that somewhere. I think it was. Yeah. I think they, they, well, they were just playing teams on their own at times and Jimenez is yeah. a massive miss and Jimenez would be a massive miss for any team in the league. Like it's, it's important to, to underline he is, not just your striker who's missing is your talisman. He gets the goals. It is like if you took um, Mo Salah away from Liverpool. That's that's how important Jimenez is to to Wolves. And I do think some Wolves fans who are maybe Nuno out might lose sight of that sometimes. It is it is a seismic loss. Um, yeah, uh, George, we, it, it's been a while since we had you on the pod. And I think last time you were on the pod, um, you were very much in the Nuno in camp. Um, results haven't really turned around. You had a little bit of a resurgence, but you've not you've not got back up to seventh as a lot of Wolves fans might have been hoping. Nuno in or Nuno out? <laughs> For now, Nuno in. I think. Nuno look, I, I, I listened to the podcast last week, and and, and I, I, I think Harry uh, expressed himself very eloquently, and he made some very good points. and And I can see where he's coming from. He, he, he was he wasn't wrong in a lot of what he was saying. We have been poor now for a while but I think what a lot of fans fail to take into account and you alluded to it yourself there Kieran is that we are in genuinely unprecedented circumstances and what I mean by that is that the 2019-20 season we started in July 2019 right we didn't finish until August last year we had three days of pre-season 
that's mental. Preseason normally lasts, what, six weeks? You spend that time building your players' fitness up, building your players' sharpness up. They have a rest before that. We didn't have a rest. We had three days of preseason and we straight into another season. By the time this season is over, we will have played two years of continuous football without a break. And, bef- and, you know, I know a lot of people say, what about coronavirus and the, the, the lockdown wasn't that a break? I don't think that was a break. You think about the mental pressures and the strains that those players were under during that mm-hmm. time, the uncertainty that they were feeling. Um, Ruben Neves, for example, hasn't seen his newborn son yet. His newborn son was born in August and he still hasn't met his newborn son because he hasn't been able to go home. Nuno hasn't seen his family in a year. And there was a really interesting article on The Athletic, actually, uh, recently about um, injuries and this kind of fixture packed season and, and how there's been a lot of injuries. But one of the things that really gets neglected and this article pointed out was mental health. And when you're stressed and you're low, you don't sleep well. And when you don't sleep well, you don't, you don't recover well in between games. And when you don't recover well, you get more injuries. You can't perform to the highest level. And these Wolves players now since the pandemic have been under an unbelievable amount of stress. And you combine, and I know that's the same for every team, but you combine that with the fact that they haven't really had a break since June, 2019. And I do think the fact that we're 10th or in the league, no, we're not 10th. Where are we? 12th, I think, or something like that. I think it's 12th, actually, yeah, or 13th, a, yeah. A minor miracle, frankly. Um, we could be in a relegation scrap right now. I wouldn't call it a minor miracle with the, with how much your squad's worth, but I do take the point. It, <laughs> True, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's it. It is. We are in a, a situation that I genuinely am not sure any club in the world has ever experienced, where you've had a team that have played two years of continuous football without a break. Um, no, it's I'm madness, not sure if that's yeah. ever happened before to anyone ever. Yeah, which is it, it is. It it is mental, um, and it the, the thing that kind of exacerbates it is. Nuno played the same 11 every week yeah. last season and he plays the same 11 every week this season. And that's fine, but you're going to get injuries at some point. Matt, what Definitely. about you? So, so first as um, first as an Albion fan, Nuno in or Nuno out, because as an Albion fan, I'd love to see them sack Nuno. Um, <laughs> I'd absolutely love it. But as, as, a, um, as a, if you were a Wolves fan or as a football fan, do you think they mm. should get rid of Nuno? No, I don't really. I mean, I was lucky enough to interview him once, actually, when I was working at the Star. And um, we went down to the training ground and there was a few of the Midlands journos there. Um, And it was after the promotion season, I think. And he took us into his office and showed us the the calendar for for the season. And what he was really proud of was after every defeat, they won. He was really proud of how they bounced back um, after after every setback. So he's, I think he's aware of of what's happened. But I I, I agree with you, Kieran. I think losing Jimenez and Hotter, remember, two of course, massive yeah. massive yeah. players for them, massive massive players for them, and two of the best players. Basically, they are the two best players. I would say um, <clears throat> in recent yeah, them, years, them and Bolly, who's also missed a lot of football. You know, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's really it is it's it's tough to take, and and I think because they did so well, the first season they went up, um, we just kind of expect them to to carry on that trend. But you look at Sheffield United this season; it's no given, um, and especially when you have injuries. So no, I I think if I if I was a Wolves fan, which thank God I'm not, but if I was, I would I would say uh, I would I would want to keep him because I think he, he is a good manager. Yeah. yeah. 
at least for now, I mean, the thing is, look, if we get to November and it's still shit and we've, we've had a full preseason and a rest at the end of the season and it's still going the way that, that we're going at the moment, you know, I get it. Then I might be Nuno out at that point. But I think this season is such an unprecedented circumstance that of all seasons now is not the time to be thinking about getting rid of him of all of any, you know, of any time in history. Now is the one time where we go, you know, let's just get, let's just see how we are next season. Cause I really do think he'll bounce back from this. I think with a good preseason under his belt, I, I do think we'll be better next year. I do. And if we're not, then I might be Nuno out and that's totally fair. And I might go, you know what? Harry was right. Give it until the end of the season, give it until next season, November, let's say, um, you know, and if we still shit then, and we've had a full preseason and we've had a rest. Fair enough. You know, I'll, um, yeah, very I'll... candidly put George. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> and like, look, if, if, if that's the way it is, then fair enough. I'll go, you know what? Harry was right. We should have got rid of Nuno, but I do think that having this conversation of, should we get rid of him right now in this genuinely unprecedented time? It's just not, it's, it just doesn't make any sense. And we have to see how Nuno does with a full preseason to to take us to the next level because yes we are playing the same way we always have done and yes we haven't evolved and and I think Harry made a really interesting point last week about uh, Valencia and Porto and how things got stale there and maybe that will happen with us but we haven't really given Nuno a proper chance to evolve yet because this season fair enough, yeah. can't evolve it's impossible to really um so yeah you know Maybe in November, if if uh, if things are still going badly, I might be Nuno out. But until then, I, I don't think it's the right call at all. To I think that's I think that's a good point. I think it's very well put. I think Nuno does deserve the time, um, and we've come back to this. Uh, but I think you know you, you should let Nuno really have a good attempt at getting out of this funk because it's it's not easy. Um, how are we getting on with the trivia question, guys? Has anybody come to mind? So. I'll just reiterate the question. So Gareth Barry holds the appearances record. Petr Cech holds the minutes record. Which current Premier League player has played the most Premier League minutes? I've got, well, I've got an, I've got an answer. Go on. Is it, on, is it, is it Rob Lee or Scott Carson? It's a somebody who's still playing. Somebody who's still are playing they, are now. Are they not playing? I thought Rob Lee was Chelsea third choice and Scott Carson was City third choice. Or that, not, neither of them get many minutes, do they? No, they don't. No. But they used I, to. They used to. Rob Scott Carson's got loads of Premier League minutes. I can give you a clue. Go on then. He's won a Premier League. I've I've got two names I know who it is. that I came I've up with. Got it. <laughs> I've got it. I've got two names. I came up with uh David De Gea or Jordan Henderson. They are both very, very high in that list. Are they? But is it? it's neither of them. Ooh. Is it Mark Brighton? No, again, Ooh. very high in the list. Um, it is, would you like another clue? Kasper Schmeichel? No, it's an outfield player. Everyone always it's goes goalkeepers with these. It's an outfield player. And because a goalkeeper plays 90 minutes every week, so it does make sense, but it's yeah. an outfield player. You know what? Oh, considering the League, considering um, this is an Albion Wolves podcast, is it an Albion ex-Albion player? It's not, but the Gareth Barry link oh. was kind of a segue to the question. But um, it's not. It's not like Gary Cahill, is it, or somebody like that? It is Gary Cahill. Get him! <laughs> Excellent. He's ex-Villa as well. Um, what a terrible, what a terrible answer to have on the pod. But no, <laughs> I'm, I'm 
well impressed you got that. Obviously, a few clues along the way, but I think Gary Cahill's a phenomenal shout. I would never have gone Gary Cahill. Um, of course, he has won a Premier League. He's won everything. He had that amazing record of the first two or three years he was at Chelsea. He won everything that was available. Mm. Wow. He stopped He stopped uh, in by Diagne scoring a goal as well on the weekend. Yeah, so he's, I'm not, sure he's not over the hill. Yeah, that would be right up there with his career achievements as well. Um, <laughs> normally, thin air does that to Diagne, but it took Gary Cahill this weekend. Um, but no, fantastic, brilliant. Um, JB, um, who is Matt for your benefit, our usual co-host, um, loves to come up with a teaser where there's five or six answers. So even if you get one of them, you feel like you've accomplished nothing. I prefer the other approach of a really hard one that if you get it, you feel really, really accomplished. No, I'm Jack, Jack likes his list, doesn't he? he Who does, are the top five? Blah, yeah, blah, yeah, blah. yeah. Which four Italian players have scored a Premier League hat-trick? <laughs> Which six German players have a Premier League medal? Um, they are the two questions from the last two weeks that Jack's asked. Um, Good questions, though. Great questions. Um, but De Canio? Surely De Canio is one of them. In a, go on, have a, it's not Decanio, but have a go, Matt. Who comes to mind? <laughs> oh, I don't know. No, let's <laughs> we'll move revisit on. This. Yeah, I let's move on, yeah. so I won't. I won't comment. Uh, um, the, the answers, by the way, are Balotelli, Ravinelli, um, Viali, and yeah, who's the last Viali one? George. Was, oh God! Um, oh Zola. I thought, I thought Zola I was the last one. Yeah, Zola. Anyway, we are rambling on. Um, true to our name, uh, Matt. Just. I want to take some time now to just basically have a general chat about Albion, um, pick your brains as someone who used to cover Albion and, of course, as a fan. Um, the first question I'd like to ask you, Matt, is how long have you been an Albion fan? Um, and do you remember the first ever Albion game you went to? Um, so I've been an Albion fan since birth, really, because my dad um, supported the Baggies. Um, I grew up on the South Coast, actually, but my dad's from Streetly. Um, which is you know in the West Midlands. Yeah. He went to he went to um, the Hawthorns when he was at school with his school friends. He used to watch the team in the seventies. You know the great team Cyril and, and Laurie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've 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 basically been a fan since birth. The first game I went to, I can't, I don't know that because I my dad used to take me to games all the time when I was younger, like two or three me, years me old. Too. Me too. Everyone always asks, what's the first game you went to? I've got no idea. My story is actually really similar to yours. Uh, we moved to Staffordshire, so I was born in Staffordshire. My closest team would be probably, I'm probably close to Wolves and Stoke than I am Albion, but exactly the same. It was a life sentence. My dad was an Albion fan. I've been going since as long as I can remember. And I don't know what my first game was either, um, which I think is the way to have it, not knowing the bliss of not having West Bromwich Albion in your life. Because I think if we knew how nice it was to not care, we'd all choose that option in life. Um, the earliest game I can remember going to was, I think it was a pre-season friendly and it was against Gothenburg. And wow, when was that? I think, uh, it was, um, it's, honestly, it was, I don't know, 93, 94, something like that. I don't know when it wow. was, to be honest. Um, and we won 4-1. And I remember coming coming back in the car and thinking we were amazing because we'd beaten this European side. Now, my dad probably was telling me, oh, yeah, this side is really good because, you know, five years ago they were in the European Cup or the Champions League or something. Not really um, explained to me how rubbish Gothenburg probably were. They probably were equivalent of a, you know, a 
uh, Division Four side or Division Three side at the time. So yeah, yeah. but I remember I'm not, that's that's the earliest one I can remember. Yeah, um, I have no idea who played, but um, I, I do remember winning four one, thinking we were absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. If anyone's listening and they know when we played um, Gothenburg in a pre-season friendly, um, let us know at BCR Pod on Twitter. Um, it'd be interesting to know if anyone else was there. I'm sure some people were there. Um, Matt, moving on, um, fast forwarding to you as a journalist covering Albion, was there a moment um, for the from all the games that you covered, and you covered us in two divisions, you covered some tumultuous times at the Hawthorns. Was there a moment that really stood out, maybe a game that you think back really fondly of, um, your your highlight really as an Albion journalist? The best one was um, probably the game against Spurs under Darren Moore um, at home at the Hawthorns when, I don't know if you remember, but basically we were completely dead and buried under Pardew. Um, Darren took the reins over. We won at Old Trafford. <laughs> we drew it. We drew at Anfield, or we drew it at home to Liverpool. Yeah. Beat someone else. Can't remember who it was. And then we uh, had this game. It might be Newcastle. Then we had this yeah. game at Spurs. We had this game at home to Spurs, and we'd basically been staying up by like, goals scored or something yeah. <laughs> each week. It was so ridiculous. We should have been relegated about six weeks ago. And they had to win this game against Spurs and Spurs were good at the time. And yeah, Jake Livermore bundled that goal in um, Amazing. in the 95th minute or something. And the whole place erupted. Yeah. That was, that, that was for me, the closest I got to being a fan as a journalist because I went mental. Yeah. <laughs> all protocol, <laughs> all protocol went out the window and uh, yeah, I went mental. And then I, I did, have to delete a, a quite sweary tweet. I remember afterwards. that. Yeah, I do remember that happening. <laughs> I, I thought you might say that. Uh, my recollection of that moment is um, vastly different. Uh, as I alluded to earlier on the pod, I was actually living in Spain at the time um, and I was on a beach in Valencia with a Huddersfield fan and we'd worked out if we were to stay up, Huddersfield would also stay up mathematically. Huddersfield were really in the mire at the time. But if we stayed up, Huddersfield had to stay up. So we were really, really cheering us on, watching it on a dodgy stream. When that goal went in, I had, and obviously it's, I am the only West Bromwich Albion fan in Valencia. I had an out-of-body experience running down this beach, face full of sand, screaming. And I, I blacked out for a few moments. But that, even though I was thousands of miles away, that is one of the really, really fond memories I have as an Albion fan. It was, it was a really, really special. I'm glad to hear you say it because it. Yes, we went down, um, and Darren Moore was sat the following season anyway. But that just felt like the biggest euphoric release after some really, really tough times of being an Albion fan. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was, it was, it was the, it was the best moment I think. That and I would say the semi-final at the Hawthorns in the playoffs against Villa, when the whole crowd—I've never felt the atmosphere like that. Yeah, at the I Hawthorns. mean, I was—I was there that night. I was back then. Well, that was special, yeah. yeah. That was absolutely amazing. That was a great night, and even though you know that, that we went out in the end on penalties, um, the atmosphere there was just—I've never experienced that. I've not experienced that at any ground either. Me neither. Not, so you know, I've, I've been to other games. I've I've been to watch. I used to go and watch Brighton a lot when I was younger. 
And mind you, they were, at the, they were at the old with Dean Stadium then, so you couldn't get an atmosphere in that stadium. So it's an athletics track, but um, I've never experienced that at any grounds or any game. Yeah, it was well, it was amazing. It, it really was amazing, and I'm sure the Villa fans, the three thousand or so Villa fans who were there, will actually attest to it. But um, at the time, obviously, we lost again. There's a theme here. We uh, we have a moment of euphoria and then <laughs> disappointment. But obviously, we lost. But I remember you know telling people or tweeting or something about how special it was it was truly palpable it was it was like nothing else i've ever seen um obviously i'm in the crowd you're there in a professional capacity but it still had the same experience and and fans of other clubs um one wolves fan in particular said yeah it's a semi-final of the playoffs obviously it's going to be like that and it really drove home how special that moment was because it wasn't just a semi-final of the playoffs. It was it was seismic, again, to use that word. It, it felt bigger than the occasion. I don't know, again, obviously you're there in a professional capacity. It, and I'm, I'm really interested to hear, was it just a semi-final playoff or was it bigger than that? I don't know because, okay, so I've done, I've also covered playoff finals uh, when Villa when Villa went there, I've done the two Villa finals that they that they were involved in, and the atmosphere at Wembley those days was was good. But I don't. I think you lose something in the bigger stadiums, and I think there's I think there's something more almost um, feral about having twenty five thousand fans going loopy yeah. than you know ninety thousand fans when. I would say maybe 60 of them are going loopy, 60,000. Do you know what I mean? You, yeah. you get it to a playoff final. And, you know, I went to the, the playoff final against Derby as well as a fan back Me in the day. Too. I don't, I don't think it was the same. I don't, I really don't. Um, I also did a playoff final with Brighton at the Millennium Stadium. And that was a great atmosphere because the Millennium Stadium yeah. holds the noise in. It's really, really acoustically mm. brilliant. But again, it was nothing like that because I think, I think you had the added spice of it being Baggy's Villa. It yeah, was a second. Yeah. It was a second leg. There was all that stuff about the first leg and Gale getting sent off. It was really like the and crowd never felt a red like. Card. No, well, no. not if you're not if you're an Albion fan. Anyway. No. <laughs> Carry on, it, it, it it really felt like the crowd realised that if we were going to do it, they had to play their part. Yes. And it's not, it's quite rare you get that. You get it sometimes. You do get it sometimes with, with other, in other clubs. But it, I don't know. It's, it was, it was, it was really, really special. Um, yeah. But, and I, I, quite, I quite like the fact that in, in, in a weird way, I reckon we'll look back on it now, in, now and in the future and think it's quite nice. Not nice. Nice is probably the wrong word. But it's, it, it, it speaks a lot about football and the allure of the game that, in both those scenarios, as you said, the ultimate goal was not achieved. So yeah. staying up wasn't achieved. Getting promoted wasn't achieved. Mm-hmm. But it didn't matter. It doesn't really matter because when you look back on those moments, you don't think about, oh, yeah, but we never actually made it. You think about the feeling and the journey. And that's yeah. the whole reason we go, isn't it, essentially? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think that there's a, there's a very bittersweet irony in there that, both ended in disappointment, but I, again, for me, over the last five years, I'd say those those are the two moments that really stick out. Um, and that, and obviously, this season we got a, a derby win that, with the fans not being there, doesn't really have the same appeal. But it's kind of the same thing again. We have this moment of euphoria followed by inevitable 
disappointment. That is what it's like to be an Albion fan. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I fully, I fully expect us to beat Wolves in the in the in the other leg as well. Me too. Um, I don't know. Oh, I don't know what you think. I don't know what you think, George. <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly hope not. But I'll be honest. Knowing us, I can see that happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we say get your act together by that point. It's been 25 years since you got your act together at the Hawthorns. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long, long, long time. Yeah, um, what's another two months? Yeah, hopefully it'll be a lot longer than that. Um, anyway, before Wolves <laughs> get a Hawthorns win, that would be cruel if that record finally ended and we weren't. Well, it would be nice if we weren't there, but it'd be horrible for the Wolves fans if they're not there to finally see a Hawthorns win <laughs> after all the disappointment. It's almost worth letting them do it, actually, isn't it? I suppose, if we're really down. Absolutely. Just let that happen and don't recall it in the future. Did, did that That's what we'll say. That That's happen. what we'll say, yeah. Kieran, when we get turned over 2-0 comfortably. We'll just say, yeah, oh, we, yeah. Yeah. we meant that. It didn't count. <laughs> didn't count. Um, so just, just to continue, Matt, um, do you think... And we sort of covered it earlier, and this segues lovely into a chat about managers. Do you think we should give Allardyce a go next season? Because this is a hot topic at the moment. Yeah, and it's, it's all sort of stemmed, doesn't it, from Chris Wilder um, leaving Sheffield United, I think. because Yes and the... no. Uh, yes, absolutely. That This does complicate things. But also, I think a lot of people weren't happy with, with the idea of him staying regardless. Mm. But I'm with you I've... that this Chris Wilder news definitely accelerates it. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of things that there's a lot of aspects to think about. Firstly, does Allardyce want a season in the championship? It's a grueling season, you know. Right? It's good question. Even even for a journalist who who basically has a really great job you get to travel the country and watch all these football games, but it is grueling. You know, you're doing three days, three games a week. Um, you're all up and down the country. It's it is a lot of a lot of work for a manager. Um, very few days off, very few days off. Um, and Allardyce is what nearly seventy now. Um, he might even be. I don't know. But um, I don't know whether he's got that that passion, that fire in his belly to drop down to the, drop down to the championship and try and prove himself. He might feel like I've proven myself in this in the in this game. I don't have any desire to do that. Or he might think actually. Um, I've done the prem. Okay, I didn't get them. I didn't keep them up, but I do think that I've got a, a shot of getting them back up. And I would like to go out on a high. You might think that um, there's the money thing to come into come into it because I don't think he's going to be cheap. He won't be cheap. He's not cheap now, I imagine. So, um, can we afford to to keep him on for another year? I know he's got he's got an eighteen month contract. I think so. I think he is strictly speaking contracted to do it. But yeah. Um, and then the other side is, is he, the, is he the right man for it? I mean, you know, it hasn't, although things have improved slightly recently, it hasn't been um, completely convincing and it hasn't been something that you would think, okay, yeah, we're going to take the championship by storm next week, next year. I can see the basis and the, the I can see sort of the foundations of a good side there. Um, and I think Allardyce's experience would be beneficial in the championship, but at the same time, the game does have a habit of of, of moving on and passing people by. Um, and I would um, almost put 
Tony Pulis's recent time at Sheffield Wednesday in that bracket, where he, I think yeah. he struggled. I mean, I, they're a basket club, case club anyway. Yeah, they are, yeah. It's probably, probably problems with the owner there more than anything else. But, you know, uh, you've got a new... I, don't, I just don't know. I don't know whether Allardyce's methods um, would, would suit modern football I don't I don't know they might do they might they might sit them down to the ground um, it's really tricky uh, put it this way I wouldn't be against him being there next season to be honest and I wouldn't be against him not being there yeah I would like I I liked Billich because he felt it felt like he really really cared about the club mm-hmm. Allardyce I don't know whether I mean, maybe he's just so long in the tooth. He feels like he doesn't have to play that PR game. I think maybe did did kind of play a PR game by getting the fans on side, and you know, um, although he was right, he was you know, when you're in his company, he was genuinely exciting to be around. Um, It was great. He was great to have as a manager. Um, Allardyce sort of has you know doesn't give as many doesn't give a shit really. Do you know what I mean? He's just he's been there, done it. So, I don't know. I really don't know. It's a really tricky question. And, and if I, I think the fan base is probably split on it as well. So, if, if we all don't really know, then I wonder what the powers that be think. Um, That's a, such yeah. a good rundown of a situation. And it's so unique. So unique. How, how often have you heard, I don't know if I've ever heard, a club that about to go down or even a club at any point are thinking, yeah, I'd love it if this guy stayed or... I'd hate it if this guy stayed at the two ends of the spectrum. Obviously, so sometimes you get that, but it is almost just a general apathy towards it, towards the decision one way or the other. I, I think that stems from Alatheus as well. It, like you alluded to there, it sort of gives this air that he doesn't really mind if he's there next season. He hasn't addressed it. Um, he hasn't said one way or the other. And I think that filters out and that, that's why we find ourselves in this unique situation where people are sort of like, well, I, I don't really mind. Maybe, maybe it feels a bit. It feels a bit workmanlike. I don't know if that's, do you, do you know what I mean? It feels like he's doing a job. And I think there are a, m- a number of fans who feel like he could probably do that job quite competently because he's got experience of doing it competently. Um, and they might think, okay, we've got everyone knows when you go when you get relegated you've got one or two seasons that are your best chances of going back up absolutely yeah so who you know Allardyce might be might be the right person to get us back up next season I can, I can see that argument but I can also see a point where he really isn't he's an, he's an expensive uh, manager who's lost maybe lost a little bit of touch with, with the modern game because he's been out of it so long you know it was a big break between Everton and coming to us that he had so, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I don't, I, and, and I'm sorry I can't give anything more concrete. I've just got... No, that's no exactly idea. what I want. I'm glad to hear someone else say it because it's exactly how I feel on it. Um, I think it, it is, it's such a good point and it's that short-term success versus long-term gain. Is it financially viable um, to take a risk on another manager? Is it financially viable to put all your eggs in the Allardyce basket? If it doesn't work, it blows up. It's it's such an interesting situation. But George, I, I asked you before the pod to sort of put in a list of names together. If we work on the basis that Allardyce isn't going to stay, we, we that's a massive caveat because he might, and this might all be pointless conjecture. Um, have, have you got a list of names for us, George? 
I do, yeah, yeah. Um, I think some are fairly sort of quote-unquote realistic uh, appointments for you guys, and then some might be a little bit more out there. Not quite Max Allegri out there, but like, you know... <laughs> sort of on the on the outer edges of yeah. uh, feasibility um so i'm if, just gonna i'm just gonna fire them at you yeah i was just gonna say if you fire them at us and matt if we just give a yes or a no with no explanation quick, and then we'll double fire. back at the end and we'll we'll sort of do it a quick rundown but george when you're ready right i'll start with eddie howe no oh i'm torn on that one sorry <laughs> that's all right i i i feel like no as well we'll, we'll, like we'll double no. back we'll double back okay danny cowley yes <sighs> again i'm torn no no okay. i said no for that one chris wilder yes yes for me uh Derek mckins no yes for me graham potter assuming brighton are relegated Yes, if they were, but they've turned their form really, haven't they? Yes, for me. Uh, Valerian Ishmael? Yes. I don't know who that is, sorry. The the Barnsley manager. (laughs) He's tearing it up in the championship. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, I'll give that a yes. Um, Gerhard Struber. Ex-Barnsley. Yeah, I'd say yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Darren Moore, bring him back. No. No. Ooh. No, never only just, back. only just. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Alex Neal, no, no. Nathan Jones, is that the Luton manager? Yeah, yeah. No, from me. No, from me as well. John Terry, no. That's a hundred percent no. Absolutely not. <laughs> Michael Appleton. Appleton. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. Two yeses. Yeah. <laughs> that's the first double yes, isn't it? Um, I a few. Quick Chris Wilder. Okay. I threw this one a hit in. Go on, go on. I'm, I'm already regretting it. Kenny Jacket. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> you okay. the wind and up, George. La- last, last one, because I did, I did hear uh, that he is uh, apparently looking for a managerial job. Roy Keane. No. No. Because it's been a massive, massive gap and he's a passion yeah. merchant, isn't he? Fair enough. Yeah. That was a really, really interesting um, quick fire round there. There were a few double yeses. Uh, there were oh, a few double no's as well. There was, yeah. Derek yeah. McInnes, I think, was a double yes. Michael Appleton. Um, I, I said no on Derek McInnes, but I'd, oh, did you? I'd love to get into that one. Michael Appleton was a double yes. Chris Wilder was a double yes. Um, any more double yeses in there? Weren't many. Yeah, I don't think there was. Gra- oh, no. great. Maybe Graham Potter. Graham Potter? Yeah, with the massive caveat of their form yeah. would have to drop off a cliff, wouldn't it, at this point? So on the, the big one is Chris Wilder, which we will come back to because that's the one that's getting all the coverage in the press at the moment. Uh, Derek McInnes, Matt, obviously he's a an Albion favourite from a time where you were presumably falling in love with the club. Um, I imagine you have really fond memories of him as captain of the club. I do, yeah. Um, uh, but I don't necessarily think that's why he'd be a good shout for manager. I don't mm. really subscribe to this ex-players being good fits for a club necessarily. And they can be. I think 
Yeah. Um, I think they can be, but I don't necessarily think it's it's a given. But I I just kind of like McInnes, really. I think he, he's I think he's done well overall with Aberdeen. And I know that a lot of people have said recently he's, he's missed a couple of opportunities up there to to win them um, trophies with 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 various bits and pieces. But I I think I think he's a proper manager, if that makes sense. And I think he'd be I I think he deserves a shot at the championship. Um, I think yeah. I think. Okay, Scottish football may not be as good as it, as, it, as it once was, or the standard it once was, but I think, and I do think, a, a job at West Brom would be a step up from Aberdeen, um, despite Aberdeen's great history. But I think he, I think he's done his time. You know, he's he's got a lot of experience, um, so I wouldn't be against that. Um, and that that part about him knowing the club, it's not essential, but. I've spoken to to Derek before. I've interviewed him a couple of times, and I just think he'd give it his all. And that's yeah. that's, and that that's all you can ask. It, I mean, it, it does comes back to that thing of identity and you know a, a, a vision. And he's been in a job a long, long time um, at Aberdeen, so that there is that argument that he could um, he could steer the club in a specific direction over a long period of time. Uh, the one, the reason I said no on Derek McInnes, and I agree with most of what you said there. The reason I said no is because of the other options that are available more than anything else. He wouldn't be at the top of my list and therefore I can't really say yes on him because I think we should look elsewhere. Um, would I be against him managing Albion one day? Nah, definitely not. I would love to see him managing Albion one day. Um, who else was on that list that we double yes there? Uh, Michael Appleton. Michael Appleton is a really interesting one. Another ex-Albion player. Um, I think somebody... We'll take a chance on Michael Appleton at the top end of the championship and it will work at some point. Will it be Albion? I don't know. What are your thoughts on Appleton, Matt? I've only ever heard good things about him as a yeah. coach and as a manager. Um, I think he's done quite well in in when he's been a manager and he's been unfortunate. In the jobs that haven't gone great for him, he's been unfortunate with the situations from what I gather. Um and I think he'd be keen to 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 come back to Albion. And I think almost like the McInnes one. Okay, although I, I said you know I'm not I don't think these players have to have an affinity to the club to, to necessarily manage it. But I do think that um, if there's if there's somebody out there that's got a relationship with the club that is on the right trajectory, they're worth looking at. And I think my yeah. I think Appleton I think Appleton's on that trajectory. I think he's doing quite a good job at the moment. I think. You know, it, he's he's been around a bit now as well. He's not he's not a Darren Moore first job, first managerial job. Do you know what I mean? He, he's uh, he's he's done it um, at other places. Okay, again, it would be a massive step up for him. But um, if you're thinking of you know, we talked earlier about identity and long term planning. If you think about long term planning, I think those are two appointments there that you could get behind in the long term, provided the fan base. And I think they're association with the club would allow the fan base to accept maybe a short-term hit if there was long-term yeah. signs of progress. Definitely, so yeah. that's sort of where I'm at with those two. Yeah, I, I mean, again, agree with with pretty much all of that. Um, we also both, after a query on who he was, because he's got a phenomenal name uh, and he's tearing it up in the championship, Valerian Ishmael, we both said yes on him. However, that is such a left-field choice and it really would be a risk 
Nobody really knows that much about him, apart from presumably Barnsley fans. And if anybody's listened to this pod uh, and wants to get ahead on their championship listening, listen to Not The Top 20, um, the podcast that Ali Maxwell and George Ellick run. They also appear on Sky regularly. They are brilliant. I'm sure they will do a rundown of everything Valerian Ishmael on there. And they'll be talking about Albion next season. Spoiler alert. Uh, And the last name, and it's a nice one to finish on because it really does sort of um, seem to be dominating the the discussion at the moment. It's Chris Wilder. Um, he has had a promotion from League Two, a promotion from League One, a promotion from the Championship, stabilised in the Premier League, um, and then it all went wrong at Sheffield United. The first promotion wasn't Sheffield United, of course, but it, it's all gone wrong in recent times at Sheffield United. I said yes, and I would put him as my number one target. That's cards on the table. He would be my uh, my preference. I would sack Allardyce and I would appoint Chris Wilder uh, because he brings you that long-term vision, um, that passion, that proven success. It's a nice balance between that short-term success and that long-term identity and that long-term aim. And who doesn't want Shemi Ajay to be playing as an overlapping centre-back like, doesn't that just sound amazing? Like, the, the thought of Chevy Ajayi chipping in with 10 goals a season. Uh, Matt, I, I don't know what you think about Wilder, the prospect of him coming to the Hawthorns. I think for me, um, yeah, I like the idea of Ajayi as the Nova. He's, he's fast, isn't he, Ajayi? So he'd, he'd be yeah, pretty good so at that. Quick. For, for me, he, he scores goals anyway. Isn't he our top scorer this season? <laughs> yeah, he does actually, yeah. Um, I think... Um, I think the, the 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 appeal of Chris Wilder for me is that is experienced in the championship. I think he he knows how to win Absolutely. games in that division. Yeah, more and so I, than I, any of the other candidates. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he, he did it for two years with Sheffield United. They nearly went up the first time, and they went up the second time. I think, I think he can build a strong team. And what we've been guilty of um, recently, particularly at the start of this season, has been quite weak. I think being quite naive and quite limp. Whereas he would build a team that would, um, they might not be the prettiest, but I think they'd be strong and 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 would have a solid foundation. And it would kind of work. I think it kind of works after Allardyce. Do you see what you know? It's yeah. kind of it's 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 a similar approach, I think. Um, and yeah, I, I reckon it's continuity it? there, isn't there? I think so, and it's mm. important, and that's important. I think to have those strong foundations in in, in the championship. Um, I'm not. You know, he's, his his um, transfer record isn't great. To yeah, be honest, that's, yes, know, that's the massive question mark. Yeah, you know, anybody that signs Oliver Burke probably and Ravel Morrison and Jack Rodwell, yeah. Oliver yeah. Bernie, it, 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 it's yeah. worrying. But you would hope that the technical director would oversee that and would hopefully have more of a say. Um, but from what I gather, Wilder didn't want that at Sheffield United. So yeah, that, that seems it, it might to not be work. Whisper, yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, they, they, there was talk. I mean, Wilder and Dowling talked um, in the summer of 2019 when uh, just before Billich was appointed. So there is history there. So um, that, you know, there might be a relationship there that has been, that has been festering or fostering or whatever you, you want to call it. So, um, it might be possible, um, but I do wonder. Um, but then again, I suppose Dowling's not been afraid to appoint big characters. You know, you look at Billich, yeah. 
Yeah. You look at um, you look at Allardyce. Neither of those two are wallflowers, so he's not afraid to appoint a big character. I don't think he's afraid to to have that in the dugout. Um, so maybe maybe it's a good fit. Um, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's a it's a really really interesting one. Um, one of the names which got an emphatic no from both of us was John Terry. Um, I'd like to go on record and say that if John Terry was the manager of my football club, I would not watch until he was gone. Um, the last thing we well, need associated with us is is John Terry. Considering we employed his brother and his brother got done for gambling, wasn't it? It was. It was a gambling offence. And that's the least of the controversy that's that's gone their way. Um, I mean, the supposedly... Um, John Terry actually spoke to Luke Dowling when Billich was sacked or was under consideration. Apparently they, they know one another, um, but the Anton Ferdinand documentary had just aired um, and the club didn't want that PR, PR just because a documentary has aired, which revisits racist allegations against him. That, like the, the documentary isn't the problem there. The racist allegations are the problem. Um, and we are a club with an incredibly proud history of championing diversity. Uh, the last thing we need is, is anything that would bring that into disrepute, to be honest. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I wouldn't really want John Terry to be um, the manager of, of our club. And, and, you know, also you've got those video connections now. That's uh, not it's true. true yeah. Yeah. It's not the be all and end all, really, but um, you know, it, it's yeah. It it just doesn't feel like it just doesn't feel like an Albion manager to me. That, that's all. I, no, I can't really put it in any, in any more words. Yeah, I know. And there's been a lot of Albion two Villa coaches uh, in recent times. The academy's been decimated. Louis Barry ended up there via Barcelona, which is a a subject that just develops into a conspiracy theory anytime an Albion fan chats about it. it's a weird one um, but no Matt thank you so much for your time we are uh, probably just about done George thank you for your time as well um, I know for the last 15 minutes or so you've done a lot of listening uh, to Albion stuff uh, but I really no, really appreciate right. you, you both coming on um, have you enjoyed it George nice to come on again Genuinely, yeah, I have. Yeah. I have. Um, I know, as you said, I've been listening a lot, but there's not. There's so much more going on at the moment with the baggers than the wolves. So, I mean, I fully expected that anyway. And, <laughs> and it was interesting hearing your point of view. I mean, I, I um, as a Wolves fan, I don't follow the baggers as closely as you guys do. So it's nice to get those kind of uh, in-the-know viewpoints. So to Maybe speak. you should. It's more exciting. <laughs> <laughs> We've had this debate. Yeah, we have. We have. Already. Um, and Matt, how was it to talk Albion again on the airwaves? Not something you do yeah. very often anymore. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, pretty weird. It feels like a bit of a flashback. Um, yeah, it was good. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 whenever I watch the games, I still get itchy fingers. I want to just talk to someone because <laughs> obviously I'm watching them by myself as well. Well, with my kids, kind of, but then I'm mean, yeah. not bothered at, at the moment. So, um, yeah, it, it, I, I do still want to speak to people and unfortunately the majority of my mates around here are all Villa fans so yeah. you know I bomb, bombard the WhatsApp group with Albion stuff and they're like I've been asked so it was good yeah. <laughs> it was good to chat Albion with a, with a proper baggy so yeah yeah um, I think I speak for the vast majority of Albion fans that we miss you talking about the Albion as well Matt you were a real voice of the Albion for um, 
quite a while, a really tough time for Albion fans, but you always wrote and spoke with fantastic eloquence and you were brilliant at your job. If you ever fancy returning to journalism, there would be a queue of Albion fans waiting to read what you write. That's very kind of you to say, Kieran. <laughs> Making me blush. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. I'm not the only one. Um, so thank you for listening, guys. Um, if you have got to this point in the pod, thank you for all of your time as well. You can find us on Twitter at BCRPod. Um, follow us. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, that would do us the world of good. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next time.